0: There's almost nothing I could do in a professional sports setting, meaning in an actual setting, on a field, on a diamond, on an ice rink, but I'm pretty confident I could produce zero points in 23 NHL games. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovačević of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates. Where you found this? Brock McGinn has gone 23 consecutive games without a point. That's close to impossible. It's not impossible. There have been enforcers, you know, the tough guys. This is old school stuff. The fourth liners who would only be allowed to go over the boards when they needed to take care of business or scare somebody. But we're long ways removed from that kind of hockey, contrary to whatever message might have been sent by the Penguins and Islanders a couple nights ago. And it's now, it's unthinkable. You could bring up someone from the Wheeling Nailers. Anyone at all wouldn't have to be anywhere near their best guy. Could be their worst guy. As long as he can skate forward and backward and lace him up again the next day. If you put him out for the same number of shifts with the same line mates as McGinn's had, and they'd get a point. I can promise you they'd get at least a point. It might be a puck that goes off of... You know, his rear end to his line mate, and then his line mate passes it across, and it just finds its way into the net. And he, yeah, I got my first NHL point, but he'd have won. He'd have won. This is beyond belief that this is allowed to continue, but it is. And you know what? I'd bet everything I own that for the Penguins' next game tomorrow night, Here in Pittsburgh against the Oilers, you're going to see a third line of Jeff Carter between Brock McGinn and Kasperi Kapanen, and it'll be like nothing else happened. And when a reporter asks how that line did, then Mike Sullivan's going to snap the way he did at our reporter Taylor Haas the other night, as if it's, you know, her fault. That Sullivan is deploying the worst line in hockey, not an opinion, statistically backed. The worst line in hockey. And when a similar question is put forth to Ron Hextall, that one time every two months that he decides it's okay to talk to reporters, you're going to get something about how those guys are just trying to work through something. They're just trying to work through it. Here's the truth. You want to hear the truth? This is based on every observational capability I have, as well as a lot of conversations in and around the team, including when they're on the road and there's more access than the norm. They don't want to scratch Carter. They feel like Carter is a big piece of their room, a big piece of their leadership. And guess what? On both of those counts, they're completely correct. But the idea of playing him because of that, when your team already has erratic behavior, meaning as a collective, what's the value of that leadership? What exactly is it leading to? And to boot, to take that further, and to continue playing Kapanen, who, I'm sorry, these are experienced hockey men. They have to know what it is that they're watching with this player. This isn't some uh, hidden jewel waiting to be untarnished or something. He just just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have a sense for the game. Why? I would have no idea. I watched his dad play. Sammy Kapanen had all kinds of hockey sense. The son doesn't. I don't know why, but I do know that it's accurate. And then there's McGinn, which... uh, which might represent the strangest case of them all. Because he offers you nothing. Nothing. He'll pop a few goals early in a season. And you know what? Early this season, you can go and rewind the tape on this very program. I reminded everyone that this is what he does. And he has everyone thinking, hey, this is a pretty productive bottom six guy. And then he falls off a cliff. He's done it since he's been in Pittsburgh. He did it all through his time in Carolina. It's about time everyone, including people who are critical of these players, stops defending Hextall in this process. And here's what I mean when I say that. Because people will rip Hextal. How could he do this? How could he get these guys? How could he overpay in particular? Actually, he overpaid all three of them. But when I say defending him, it's because they'll come up with excuses for him. Oh, he can't make any moves. What do you want him to do? You can't trade them. Nobody would take them. You can't bring up guys from the minor leagues because you're, you know, crunched up against the salary cap. And even if that's totally Hextall's fault, he can't do anything about it. So you just got to try to get the best you can out. No, 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 no. Here, here, here. I'm going to solve this for you in less than a minute. You ready? A. Put McGinn on waivers. B. Put Kapanen on waivers. C. Send Carter up to the press box to watch the games with us. Next, no team claims McGinn or Kapanen because no team out there is that dumb. That's your best case scenario. Now you get not only this year's cap hit off the books. You get the full cap hit off the books. And the same goes for Kapanen. And it's for two years, not just this one. Wow. Go make this happen. Like not yesterday, like three months ago. This is fantastic, but no one will. No one will claim them. So what happens is they go to the minor leagues and a prorated share off a certain percentage of their overall cap hit comes off of the cap. It creates space. It's not the full amount, but in McGinn's case, it would be a prorated $1.1 million. Um, why hasn't this happened yet again? Anyone? Hello? Hello? You could bring up Valtteri Pustin, and you could bring up Alex Nylander. You could make trades. You could go and look for a different backup goaltender. You could do a lot of different things. If you did this with both of these players, why, why hasn't it happened yet? The answer to that question answers everything else about this team this season. When we come back, J1Q. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by Family Table, a local company that brings delicious food to busy families. They offer family-style complete meals or a la carte items like lean proteins, perfect for muscle building and weight loss, delivered straight to your door. These meals need nothing more than to be reheated, no prep, no mess. If you're not local, gift cards are also available for your Pittsburgh based family and friends, go to familytable.com and use the code DK20 for 20% off and free delivery on your first order. And today's J1Q comes from Mike Thayer, who says, DK, keep preaching what you're preaching. What is Brian Burke's job? We can't blame the owners of Fenway Sports Group if Ron Hextall's direct boss isn't doing anything. I mean, I guess we can because neither are being held accountable. But I'm more upset that the two guys brought in are silent in solidarity, it seems. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's almost like uh, your dad had some longtime connection. To the hockey world, my friend. Anybody who remembers Skip Thayer, the former longtime head athletic trainer of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm going to have more information about Burke's hiring and Burke's role in our Point Park University Friday Insider column that I write every week on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I hope you'll check that out. What I'll share with you here is that Burke was brought in By Mario Lemieux, the Penguins management at the time, led by David Morehouse, felt their process was complete by identifying and then offering a job to Hextall. That was it for them. And when they took that up to Mario, Mario's response was, what about Berkey? Mario liked the guy. Mario respected the guy, uh, appreciated his no-nonsense approach to speaking about things and felt he'd be the right fit to have in a role that most teams in professional sports have now added where there's someone over the GM so that you don't have a situation where for example Morehouse loves the game, loves hockey but you know, was a businessman to the core, would be tasked with having to make a move related to Jim Rutherford or before that to Ray Shiro. Uh, The Shiro move was executed almost entirely by Mario and Ron Burkle. Uh, David pretty much stayed out of that one, meaning Morehouse. But in Rutherford's case, uh, that was all between Rutherford and Morehouse, and Rutherford ended up resigning, and you know that whole story. But Mario thought it'd be a good idea to have someone in that type of role, and that was who he thought of, and when Mario says something, you go and do it, and that's the end of that. However, however, as you point out pretty adroitly there in your question, I thought, Hextall and Burke seem to be in just total lockstep with everything. You can't get one or the other to speak a solitary syllable that doesn't sound like exactly what the other guy's thinking slash saying. If there's been any sense of disagreement, even on the slightest thing, They've done very, very well, the two of them, to not show that to the public. But I think it's just authentic. I don't think it's a, you know, some kind of demonstration that they're putting on. And yeah, that's unsettling because you don't feel like there's a place you can keep going up the ladder to stop this madness that I've been describing here for a while and that you're watching with your own eyeballs. Where do you go? I'm getting questions now from listeners about Fenway Sports Group. Where are these guys? The reason that you're doing that is because you're looking for somebody who can see the obvious and react to the obvious and to make sure that there's some degree of accountability in Pittsburgh, not just among the players but also with the head coach who's making the decisions as to who plays, with the general manager who nonsensically filled up his salary cap space with grossly overpaid third liners, fourth liners, whatever you want to term them. This is exactly the reason that Burke was brought in. This was exactly why Mario thought his personality would be right for it, because he'd be strong-willed enough to stand up against a stubborn coach, a stubborn GM, like the situation that Mario addressed himself a few years earlier when he had a stubborn coach in Dan Bilesma and an equally stubborn, always-on-the-same-page GM in Shiro. This is why Burke is here. I hope I'm answering your question for that for that particular count because I can't take it any further because I don't know what it is that he's actually doing. I just don't. I just don't. But this was not what 66 had in mind. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.